The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Did you have a great day today or what? You know, I, I think so. I tell you what, I know that you all are big grown-ups and stuff, and life's busy, and like Constance was saying, I mean, it's hard to even just make room for whatever God might want to do in your life, because you're just too busy doing the stuff that fills your schedule. And uh, it doesn't mean you're bad, or it's bad, when sometimes you just have to say no to even things like this. But isn't it good that you were able to come? Isn't it good that you were able to make space and... Um, I just know there's a bunch of different ways that God can meet us whenever we can create enough space. And I, for one, enjoy seeing people your age play. It's just, you don't get to do it very often. And I love the people within and Young Life College that do crazy things like, I think Peter Meyer owns like 29 pairs of rollerblades. And has any, who's gone rollerblading or played roller hockey with Peter Meyer? Okay, so here's the deal. If you haven't, you haven't lived and or nearly died. So uh, you, you'll need to do that soon. And, and, or played soccer in Larson Hall. Anybody here has done that? Or played basketball. It's like, you know, the, um, the world calls them mental health breaks. I'm just saying God created us um, to experience life, and that includes with our, with our physical bodies, if that's possible. And there's something that happens when we play, which is different than hanging out. Want to go hang out? Sure. Um, I mean, kids learn how to hang out now at about 14, and they forget how to play. And it's, it's, just, it's just different. It's fun. The play, to me, is just where you're kind of like, I don't have time for this. I really shouldn't. Why am I laughing at carpet ball or whatever? But it just produces something that's good. And I, I, I believe that it's part of what's good about this weekend. So uh, your mental health should be just really great now because of that. you got a mental health break. Um, you know, I was so privileged over the years to spend so much time at Young Life Properties. And uh, Malibu is my favorite place in the world. Um, it's where I came to know Jesus, but I like all the Young Life Properties. And for my kids, um, they might say, I mean, they all love Malibu, but actually they've, um, J.D. and Drew, our older two, would say more because of their experiences there. That's where they got to go with their friends. But when they were little... We were at camps all over the place, and Lost Canyon was awesome, and Woodleaf, the, the red clay of Woodleaf in Northern California is awesome, and they've, you know, just all these great places. But they learned how to do different things there. Our kids learned how to walk and eat sometimes, because we'd be up at camp for a month, you know, when they were really, really little. And, um, and uh, you, I, no one in our family learned how to swim at a Young Life property, but somebody should have. That would have been helpful before he did this. So uh, one of the boys who remain nameless, and really it could be any of the three, starts with J and rhymes with Haiti, uh, so, which is a cool country. So, or somebody else uh, did this. But uh, <laughs> I was the speaker up at Malibu, and I was on kid detail in the afternoon. It's like, hey. And my wife had a really cute name for me when she was ready to have a break of watching the kids of a camp, she'd call me Speaker Boy. And she didn't say that in as loving a way as you might think. And uh, she was like, hey, Speaker Boy, how about hanging out at the pool with your son? Oh, I'm down. I'm doing that. Totally. Let's go to the pool. 
this is great. You got him, right? Oh, I totally got him. We're going to focus. It's me, him, focus, focus. And uh, that particular year, I did not, I, I was not nominated for parent of the year, as it turns out. Um, so some kids came up while we were in the pool, you know, while I was in the pool, and um, just were kind of wandering around. We're like, hey, you know, what's up? Well, um, I start talking with them, and then uh, JD, he's wandering around with this kid named Mitch. Um, oh, I, I, cat's out of the bag. It's actually JD. So he's wandering around with this kid named Mitch, and Mitch is a year older, and he was just a pistol, and he was always getting into trouble, and I really should have been on high detail, even if we weren't at the pool. But he's running around, and... Um, Mitch decides to run off the diving board, which is cool. It's, it's great. Uh, a couple things were great about it. The water's wonderful. Uh, the sun was out. And Mitch can swim. So these three things worked really in his favor. <laughs> sun was out. The water was great. J.D. can't swim. But he went off the diving board anyhow. So he went running off the diving board into the water. I was only mostly paying attention my wife was hanging out with some of her friends around the pool, and all of a sudden I hear, oh my gosh, JD! And, and uh, Heather jumped, <laughs> I'm in the pool, mind you, <laughs> in a swimsuit, <laughs> completely at the other end of the pool, and she jumps into the deep end with her clothes on to save our son. So, and the good news is, hey, we can all breathe a collective sigh of relief. He made it, so that's good, <laughs> right? Story ends well, really, it's Okay. But it didn't end as well for me, I can tell you this much. So, uh, that was loud again. I'm going to scare myself. <laughs> Note to self, don't laugh at your own joke. You'll be fine. Uh, so I'll, the funniest thing happened, though. I mean, much funnier than, than that. So uh, as she comes up from out of the water, she's like, she says to him, J.D., you can't swim. And he goes, oh, I forgot. <laughs> It's just, it's just like, wow, you're going to want to have a list of things you know how to do around dangerous things. And for, you're going to wear a helmet the rest of your life, and you're going to have a note of stuff you know how to do. So here's the thing. Um, it all ended fine, and, and again, we're, we've been blessed. We, we have. We've been blessed to share incredible memories at a bunch of different places, and, 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 and we're really grateful for that. But I've thought about that sometimes, and I just, the Lord just gave me one time, I just kind of thought, you know what? He had part of it right. Life isn't meant to be lived in the shallow end of the pool. Okay, English major here, so it's not, we're not talking about a real pool. <laughs> we're talking about life as a pool. Um, that most of the great things that are going to happen in your life are going to happen when you're just on the edge of barely being able to, so to speak, keep your feet on the bottom of the pool. I'm just going to offer to you tonight that you can engage in the message that I want to share, but also participate to step maybe a little bit out of your comfort zone, but in something that should be very natural for us, to engage with the God of the universe in a way that allows us to get rid of some stuff that's weighing us down. I just really don't believe, and I, I want to make sure that you understand, I use this term, just being jammed up or being stuck. We weren't created to walk through, because to better understand it, I'll just say this, mostly we're jammed up and stuck by our guilt. We feel bad about the missed opportunities or the things that we didn't miss and we did, and now we look back and wish we did miss. The things we've done or didn't do, the things we've thought, the places of our action and inaction. We were not created to go through this life carrying that load of guilt. Additionally, many of us are jammed up by stuff that we didn't do. It was done to us. 
We have pain in life because life is hard. We have relational pain. We have pain of memories of things that, that just aren't right. And everybody would say, aren't right. We, we have pain of abandonment. And whether it's your guilt or the brokenness that you've carried for too long, I'm not kidding you. This isn't anything super special. God wants you every day to be free of that. And so I'd like to talk about what that might look like. And you can participate to the degree that you would like. And I think God would encourage you, step into the deep end. Trust him tonight. Another word on on idols from this morning. In Jeremiah 2.11, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Has any nation ever traded its God for new ones, even though they weren't gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Jeremiah 2.11. I need to give you some of these things so you can look on your own. Again, to just know you're in good company. The, the, the people of all of creation have, for whatever reason, constantly listened with one ear to the loving God, calling them into something more, something they were created for, and then jumped in towards, towards things of their own creation. In Isaiah chapter 44, and this whole stretch in the 40s of Isaiah is fantastic if you just want to kind of get in there at some point, but Isaiah is talking about the word of God through Isaiah is saying, look, this is what it feels like to me when people turn towards things that are created. And God says this, this whole section in 44 is amazing. and talks about, it's like if you went out and cut down one of my trees, right? God said, a cypress or a, or, or a fir. You, you picked one of the trees and you cut it down. And then you made like something out of you. You made a fire out of part of it and you did something else. And then with what was left over, you made an idol. And then you prayed to the idol. And, and, and literally... Starting in verse 19, the Lord says this, The person who made the idol never stops to even reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat, and I used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Your idol's probably not a little piece of wood carved up. But whatever it is that you found yourself susceptible to or identified today, ask the same question. How could it possibly be a God? How is it possibly worth your attention or your focus How will it possibly bring the fulfillment that you hope it will? It was never created to do that, even if it's a good thing. Your family, your kids, your studies, your position in life, they're all good things. Never meant to carry some of the stuff that we burden them with. They cannot fulfill. It goes on, should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Isaiah 44, verse 20. Is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? This is a decent question for you to ask yourself as you go through life. The idols will change. The temptations will change. Judge them against their worthiness of your belief in them. Doubt them a little bit. And ask God about them. The appeal of idols... I think, is that they give us the double illusion of control and fulfillment. I can control what I'm focusing on, right? I can, I can aim for something and now I'm in control. And when I get that thing, I will be happy. I'll be fulfilled. They lie on both accounts. Ab- absolutely. You don't control the thing that you're rushing after. It controls you. It controls everything about you. You say yes and no to a bunch of other things because of whatever it is that you're rushing towards. 
That's why God says it's become your God. I think it's a fair assessment. The other thing is, we end up, if we're controlled by our desire, say, for security or wealth or success or fame or the right job or relationship, we end up sacrificing amazing relationships along that path. Just, this might be a little bit tough. If you are the child of a workaholic, an alcoholic, a success junkie, a thrill seeker, somebody who had a midlife crisis, who was always looking past you and your family for something else that was going to fulfill them and maybe the promise was that it would fulfill all of you as well, then you don't need me to tell you. You've been part of the collateral damage of them pursuing something other than God. You don't want to be that person. You know you don't want to be that person. But also, they don't give fulfillment. If we fall short of the goals that we have for ourselves, the things that we've set out in front of us, we feel what? Unhappy or empty or angry. But here's the kicker. If we should actually attain these goals, strangely, we still feel unhappy and unfulfilled. The amazing example of this is just celebrity. I think celebrities are some of the most miserable people in the world. But they were normal people at one point, just searching after something and having a goal and idol. And, and by the way, part of that, before it was an idol, they, were just, they just were really hard workers, right? They took their talent and they went after things, but then all of a sudden it arises. And I just, I don't think they went up on the happiness meter. I really don't. Part of that is, to, you know, we're to blame for that. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure we make our life harder. But nonetheless... It is what it is. Don't run after it. Don't run after the things that lie to you, control you, and leave you unfulfilled. This is why Jesus longs to free us from these things. But it means, as we said this morning, surrendering control. The prayer I said last night, God, have your way in my life. It's really dangerous and unbelievably life-giving. Unbelievably life-giving. Because God will act on that prayer if you mean it. And as it turns out, I've come to the place where I don't believe there's any portion of my life that I'm uniquely more qualified to run than the God who created me out of nothing, breathed life into me, and even though I've walked away, has bought me back and calls me precious. It's just kind of a no-brainer. I like pilots to fly planes because they're better at it than me. And I like God to be in charge of my life because it goes better for me, for all of us, really. It gives Jesus the permission, if we surrender in that way, like he had with the rich young man, to speak the personal and specific words that we need to hear, the words that tell us what owns us, words that strip away our arrogance, encourage our fearful hearts to trust with everything. I asked this afternoon, what would those words be for you? Probably something good. Security, job, future, reputation, relationships, right relationships. What if it's your kids? I've got a picture. Kelsey, could you put up that picture? Um, this is one of my favorite families in the world, tied with a few others. Um, in the middle there, in the big Adidas shirt, Mark Evanston. He's like a human version of Barney Rubble. Like, he's just... For those of you who are Flintstones fans, he's just, a, he's just, he's and Bam Bam all together. He's awesome and he's strong and he's kind and he's gentle and he's helped me raise my boys. He totally has. 
this summer, he helped me baptize my middle son, Drew. And just before Drew went into the water, where a couple of other friends and I were walking with him, Mark prayed the blessing of a father over Drew's head, put his hands right into his hair, and just prayed over him. I just remember thinking, how, I, how am I so lucky that I have friends like that, that, that love me, not just their family, but love my family? His wife, Denise, is one of my wife's best friends. They talk most times on the way to work and home from work. They loved us before we ever got to Tucson. They joined the committee when there was, there was like no young life and there was no people involved. And they said, we'll be involved. And they, we got to watch together. God, do amazing things. Hundreds, thousands of people have gotten involved. And we just sit back and go, wasn't God amazing? Because that friendship is so authentic and real. But when you live life with people, when there's brokenness, it really hurts. Just so, I love the diva smile, by the way, by uh, Nicole, over on the very far, far left. And she's, next to her is Tyler Edmiston. That's their son, their one and only son. And two years ago, this coming up, this Memorial Day, so about a year and a half ago, a bunch of us were up at Malibu Discipleship Camp doing work crew there, and I got a message that I needed to make a phone call home. And when I called home, they said, everything's okay, but you need to call home. And I thought, okay, well, everything's okay. And so I called, and, and it was like, oh, it was Heather, and she said, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you got back to me. And I realized right away, my family was okay, but everything was not okay. And the night before, Tyler and Nicole were riding with Amber, who's on the very far end on the other side, and with her fiancé, but they weren't fiancé yet. Um, Luke was going to ask Amber to marry him and ask if Nicole and Tyler would go with him on a trip to California. And in the middle of the desert, tire blew out in the car, the car rolled, and though everybody was buckled in with their seatbelt, his seatbelt underneath the seat was not properly attached, had not been connected right by the people that had put it in there. And he was ejected from the car. Everybody else was fine, not really a scratch on them, and he was killed instantly. I know that he's not the only one and the only family that have experienced that. There are, there are people that I know in this room that have experienced that kind of loss of a sibling, of somebody that they love. You don't even get to really put them up on the block to say, God, everything in my life. But if you could, you wouldn't. You'd say, everything but, but them, Lord. Everything, but not them. But in the midst of this life and in the midst of brokenness, it means that there's still an opportunity. And though they loved their son Tyler, he was not their idol. Though they loved and desired to protect him, it was not what they valued above everything else. And so different from the Micah that I told you about this morning who said when his little idols of like a shirt and wood were taken away, what do you mean why am I upset? You've taken away my gods and you've left me with nothing. They do not say we've been left with nothing. And unlike the rich young ruler who walked away sad, walked away from Jesus, they have not walked away. They have stayed and they are sad and they're angry, and they're absolutely broken sometimes, and they have cried at God, and to God, and with God, and allowed him to comfort him. And I've had this privilege to walk alongside them a little bit. And I don't know, on every phone call, if we're going to laugh or cry. Usually we kind of do both. I'm sort of wired that way as well. But it's a really incredible privilege. But one thing that I've definitely noticed about them is they have no idol. God. The Lord is their God. 
And they're incredibly healthy and in incredible pain at the same time. Only God can do that kind of stuff, people. Only God. Don't you settle for anything else. Because pain and brokenness are going to come along somewhere in your life at some point, and maybe not at this drastic level, but they will come along. Nobody's immune. And you don't want to be left holding, I just was kind of counting on getting that job promotion, and that was going to be enough for me. I was really counting on this relationship, really meaning it for me. The God of the universe can give you life and get you through anything in this life, but you have to let him. I was talking with Mark. They were up this last weekend, and I said, how often do you find yourself really angry at God? And he goes, oh, not that much. And he goes, but for different reasons than you might think. He said, Steve, ties with Jesus. I want to be with Ty. I'm going to be with Jesus. And I said, like, do you think like he'd get mad at you and throw you out? He goes, no, no, I'm just saying, why would, I be, why would I be mad at God when I'm really thinking in my right mind? I hate what happened. It ties with Jesus, and I want to be with Jesus. I don't know. Some people might say that's weird and unhealthy. I guess if you're going to have a weird, unhealthy obsession, go ahead and have it with the God of the universe. And as it turns out, God can handle your anger and your pain and your brokenness. He can even handle your yelling at God. And he's the only one that can comfort you. The only one that can truly bring comfort. They have life and they have joy. But he says, I want to be with Ty and Jesus, but for some reason God has has us here. I can think of a few reasons. And among them I would say this. They are gospel tellers. And this world needs gospel tellers way more than it needs religious people. If you have a choice, choose A. Religion gives advice on how you should live. Tim Keller in his book, The King's Cross, gave this little description. Religion gives advice on how you should, li- should live. The gospel simply tells a historical event. Religion is what you have to do to earn your way to God or to earn your place among other humans. It tells you how you should act and behave. It gives advice. The gospel, that is what has been done in history This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way for you. Everybody wants to hear the gospel. Hardly anybody wants to be told how to live. The good news is this, that the God who is jealous for us has redeemed us. And this is historical fact. It's the gospel. Jesus did that work on the cross. And because of the cross, we can bring who we are to the God who is literally not counting our sins against us. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, and all this is a gift from God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, they, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And then 5.18 says, and all this is because of God. It's a good point. Not because of what we did. It's because of who God is, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is good news that I think a bunch of people need to hear. They're running around. I said earlier that you may need tonight to free yourself up from some some guilt of some sin to know that you're forgiven or to be freed from some pain. Most of the world would feel a lot better and function a lot better in life if they just simply knew one thing, that they were forgiven that they weren't created to carry the guilt of, I don't even know what they're carrying. Because we all have our individual stuff. I have mine. 
this is good news to everyone. This is good news to everyone. It means that the door is open to all. I'm going to close with a story tonight. Again, and maybe you've caught that I've done this. I read a little bit from what the Bible says about this incredible God and the relationship that we can have. And then I share a story of Jesus, God in the flesh, and how Jesus interacted with a person. And then I make the claim, I think we can have what they had, what this person had, we can have. If we can have what this woman had, the change in her life, then everyone is welcome to the table. Everyone. And then maybe you might participate in that a little bit tonight. And more importantly, whether you do it tonight or not, you might participate on this side of eternity in believing that God wants to free you up and send you out to tell a bunch of other people that we can all come in free. God is not counting our sins against us. The story is in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. In my Bible, it says this in the NLT, Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with the expensive perfume. Okay, so far in the story, who would you like to be? The important Pharisee who's invited Jesus to dinner or the woman who's de- 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 is described as immoral? You don't have to raise your hand, but I kind of know where you're leaning. Okay. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, and her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. First time I read this story, first hundred times I read this story, I just got so mad at that Pharisee. And then, I don't know, about 101, I kind of felt like the Lord was saying to me, oh yeah, you've never judged anybody. And suddenly I felt for him a little bit. It's like, oh. Yeah, I have. I look at people and all the time say, here's why they're no good. Here's what's wrong with them. Here's where they could be better. Why do they do that? Why do they act that way? What he was feeling isn't anything different than we have inside of us, at least me. But I love this thing. Okay, that's me getting excited again. Not going to do that. (laughs) Made a promise. Broke it. Okay. I love in the Bible, and there's multiple occasions where people think things and then Jesus answers their thoughts out loud. This is kind of cool. It must be a bonus in the whole God thing. She's a sinner, the guy is thinking, not saying. And then verse 40 says, Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Oh, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. See, a man loaned money to two people. Think about this story. He loaned 500 pieces of silver to one and just 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said, Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she, so she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, turned to her directly, honored her like nobody else was in the room, and said really directly, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table this time said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? But Jesus kept talking to the woman. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who do you want to be in the story now? I don't want to be jammed up judging a bunch of other people trying to make my way to God and show a bunch of other people that their way is wrong and I've got the right way. I just want to, I want to bring the right thing to a dinner with Jesus. And apparently the right thing to bring to a dinner with Jesus is a little bit of a dose of humility and all the honesty you can muster and all of the crap in your life and lay it out in front of him. <sighs> Turns out I can remember a bunch of years of crap in my life. And he will treat you kindly. And he will cancel the debt of your sin. And he will forgive you. And you will know that you're forgiven. Life goes better. Life goes better in that situation. That's what I want for you. That's what everybody that loves you wants for you. More importantly, because we can't do anything about it, that's what the God of the universe wants for you longs for you to be free, to be truly free. Thanks for putting up with me tonight. Appreciate it. You know, we're going to enter into a time where, and I know you got a bunch of stuff to think about all the time, and I've just given you a bunch to think about, and we're going to have a chance to talk in our small groups about those things. Um, but we also have a chance before that for some to at least take advantage in a symbolic way of kind of stepping into the deep end of the pool and bringing everything they got with them um, in whatever way you feel appropriate with. And I just really appreciate the leadership um, here at UMIN and just how talking people come up with ideas. Well, this could be good and this could feel safe and this would be a different opportunity. So I think we have something that's kind of neat to offer to you. An experience of forgiveness, an experience of grace, an experience of laying something down and maybe commemorating and taking something else with you. I kind of do think that when you go on a retreat, somehow God brings us here. Maybe you don't know why you're here, and I could ask you, and you go, oh, I don't know, I just was going to think, do this or that. But there's at least a part of you, and you're unaware of that God just really wanted you to be here. And I kind of think when God takes us away on a little trip, there's probably something that we're supposed to leave there and never revisit it again, and something that we're supposed to bring home and never forget. So you have a little bit of opportunity to commemorate something here tonight. I have to be honest with you, I've never sought myself nor encouraged others to seek out the weekend high, the God of the next, better, higher. I just have to have this experience, this great experience. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is really just as natural as breathing. It's as simple as praying and praying with other people and just taking time to listen in quietness. And God encourages us to do that, encourages us sometimes to be still and know that he's God. So I don't think it's anything all that goofy, but it can kind of feel weird because in our everyday life, when do we get to do that? I think it's a neat opportunity. In the fifth chapter of the book of James, starting in verse 16, we're told, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When I believed that that was true, I asked people to pray for me all the time. I would usually look for whoever looked holiest. Turns out, difficult to tell from the outside. (laughs) But what a wonderful opportunity to lay something before someone and feel the touch of their hand, even on your shoulder. And on behalf of God, have somebody say, I've just experienced it a number of times. You're forgiven. God loves you. More than you can imagine. Psalm 32 expresses the impact of a sin that's released to God. It says this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. For those, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of all guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. This is written by David, and he's responding after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then sent her husband to the front to be killed, a really ugly, messy time. Then he was convicted by a prophet who came and said, told him a story in which he was really in the story. He's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And after that, he wrote this psalm, after he asked God for forgiveness. So here's David saying, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let the godly pray to you while, you're, while there's still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. What an awesome promise. Promise for us. The Bible tells us that no matter how many, how many promises God has made, they are all made yes in Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we speak the amen. Some describe the amen as a little bit of letting yourself down into that which you've just prayed. That's what we're going to do. We're going to participate in the amen tonight. A chance for you to say, I'm believing this. I believe I can trust God. I believe that he's not an idol, that he's a real God. I want to give myself to him. Or to encourage others and pray silently even where you are. To participate to whatever level you want. But here's what we're going to do. Specifically, We're going to give you an opportunity to have somebody pray for you or pray with you um, and to, if you need to, to say, hey, I need to confess this to somebody. They're not writing it down and they're not keeping a record of anything, but they'll be available in the back. There's three couches with two chairs kind of on on either end of them. And once we get started in this, if you'd like to, you could go back there and you can have, you could grab someone there. They're looking for you. So, you know, they won't be kind of like, hey, what's up? Um, you know, they're looking for you, and then you can just share what you want to, and they'll pray for you. Also back there, there's a table with some sheets of paper and some pencils where you could, in addition to that, or instead of that, you could write down something, whether it's a pain or a confession, something that you just want to write down and you want to leave here, and there's a little basket for you to be able to leave those. And then additionally, we're just going to have this opportunity, and there'll be music playing kind of in the background, um, that if you'd like to, that you could come up front and have someone wash your hands. Now, in the Bible, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, which would be really tricky with this many people here, let's just be honest. But in addition, I think it's really interesting. I said this today, and I just say, I don't know that if Jesus would have chosen feet now, because in our society, our feet are always closed and covered. Where those people were, their feet, I mean, that's what we said to Simon, you didn't wash my feet right when I got here, which was 
customary to do, to provide a bowl of water and something to wash your feet because they're all dusty and exposed. But you know, we work with our hands. My computer screen's messy because I got the Windows 8 and I can touch it. And all throughout the day, we work with our hands and, and symbolically, we grab after life with them. We fight with other people with them. We clutch them in anger. We hold them together in disappointment. And sometimes, and maybe this is tonight, with palms uplifted, we use them to surrender. You'd have an opportunity, while there's music going on, to participate with somebody to pray for you, to write down something if you like, to stay where you're at if you like, or to come up front and have somebody wash your hands. Know this. Nothing, nothing and no one can keep you from coming. I'm going to have the, the band start walking up here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray just as they kind of get close here, but I've asked them to sing the song that they're singing right, that they're going to sing, because I just love this, just scream in the middle of it that just says there's, no matter what you've done, no matter how you see yourself or others see you, nothing that you've done can cast you outside of God's love. Nothing. If you see yourself as disqualified, here's good news. That's exactly what you need to be qualified with the God of the universe, to just give up thinking you can do it on your own. If tonight you feel disqualified, come. Participate in whatever way you want. This will go on for just 10 minutes-ish, a little bit longer than that. No matter what, just know this. We love you where you're at, but more importantly, the God of the universe sees you where you are, loves you. And in any one of these things, or just from the quietness of your chair, I think would love to do some business with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for not making it dependent on us being worthy of that love. There are so many things that distract us in this world. And even good things. We're trying to be good. I think a bunch of us really want what's right. And and if we're honest, there's many of us that have tried to know you for a long time and even are confused on whether we did that right. Lord God, would you please free us of that? Call us to yourself. Let us know that your promises are true and give us an opportunity to care for one another um, and to be cared for by you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.